0: Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck.
1: Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. I am so excited that you could all join us today because we have a very special guest. We have Senator Ben Allen from the state of California, the great state of California. Uh, And he chairs the Senate's Environmental Quality Committee and also co-chairs the legislature's Environmental Caucus. And we're going to be talking with him today about a variety of legislative pieces that that he has co-authored or actually sponsored. Uh, We're also going to be talking to him about some of the legislative um, agendas that are coming forward to deal with the many, many environmental quality issues facing the state of California. So welcome to Go Green Radio, Senator Allen. We are so glad to have you on the show.
2: Well thanks so much. So I really appreciate being here.
1: Well it's it's super to be able to talk with you and I'd love to to begin our conversation around this huge bill that passed this year, SB 54. And I'd like to have you start by talking to us about the plastic pollution crisis. I don't think that everybody knows that it's truly a crisis. Help us understand the problems that plastic pollution is causing.
2: Well, so much, so much. I mean, the vast majority of the plastic produced is never recycled. It's either ending up in our uh, landfills, in our waste stream, uh, or uh, on, on so often in, in our waterways, in our oceans. Uh, so much of our plastic ends up getting shipped overseas. It's, it's dumped into the ocean. It's littered in, the, in poor villages. It's incinerated, just burned. Uh, we're actually on track to now have more f- plastic in our oceans than fish by the year 2050. And, uh, it, you know, there was a time when we would just ship off our, our plastics to China uh the chinese decided to implement what was called their their china national sword policy in 2018 because they realized how little value they were getting out of all the plastics that we were sending them mm-hmm. uh, and they said hey we don't want your junk anymore and so we've had to find other places to send the all this trash we we basically had to make major changes and so we decided to to go ahead and and push and there's to this place where we've, you know, we we pushed through SB fifty four, and it's gotten to this place where we're now going to have a much more comprehensive approach to this this enormous problem.
1: It is an enormous problem, and honestly, you know. Anywhere you look uh, in news that is covering recycling, solid waste, plastics, anything, you can see um, people are starting to to finally see the inside workings of a material recovery facility or MRFs, and and what it really looks like when plastic is being processed for recycling, um, and and how difficult it is to separate. Those different types of plastics for recycling, and, and it's just a mess. And Senator, you authored SB fifty four, and I'd love to have you talk to our listeners about how the bill addresses plastic pollution. How will this bill help us?
2: So basically, it, we have a three pillar approach in the bill. Uh, we're we're but at the heart of the bill, at the heart of the bill, we are asking the producers, who are the people who have the most the most of uh, tools at their disposal to control the types of items that they're pushing out of the market to take some responsibility for the types of products they make and the end use of their products so we're asking them to source reduce so 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 reduce the amount of, of excess packaging that they're pushing out onto the market we're we're asking them uh, that to to, to really we're going to hold them accountable for true recyclability or compostability. So everything has to be truly recyclable or compostable by 2032, and there's some interim targets that are going to, going to, going to get them, uh, going to move them quickly in that direction. And, and ultimately, this is about producers taking responsibility for better design and actually thinking about the end use of their products. Uh, and then there's also a, 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 a you know a, a, a fund that's going to be set up through this bill that will generate a lot of money, oh, actually $5 billion over the next 10 years wow. to mitigate the impact of plastic pollution in our communities, and our environment. It's going to be paid by the, the producers, the manufacturers who've been, uh, unfortunately, so much a part of the problem here. But we're, we're ultimately asking them, we're bringing them into the, into the conversation. We're saying to the producers, look, you know your markets, you know your, your consumers, you know your, your uh, business needs. We know that your products have been causing a lot of damage to the environment and have actually been raising rates on regular folks. It's, I mean, one of the other parts of the story is that regular people have had to pay more and more and more every single year mm-hmm. for waste management as we put more and more Band-Aids onto the system, as we you know, have to you know, expand the, 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 the waste hauling mm-hmm. system and, and create more and more landfills. That's a very costly process. So, so finally, finally, we're, asking, we're getting producers, we're holding them accountable Uh, For the for the the implications of their of their entire business model, and and creating an extended producer responsibility system, that, that makes them responsible for the end use of their products.
1: I love that. You know, Senator Allen, I run a, a nonprofit organization that works with uh, K-12 schools across the country, but we're headquartered here in California. And before the pandemic, I took a group of high school students to one of our local landfills, just as la- they were laying charges, dynamite charges. The next day, they were going to be blowing those dynamite charges in order to create more space in the hills, kind of pockets into oh, the gosh. hills around that landfill. Yeah, so, I mean, when you talk about the st- strain and the, the things that we're having to do, the Band-Aids, so to speak, on our waste management system, that was such a, a, a breathtaking mm-hmm. example of that. I, and, I and, you realize to, you, yeah.
2: we are all paying for that. We're paying for yes, that. Dynamite, right? Yes, yes. But, but the plastic producers that have, have caused the problem, don't have, they're not paying the cost. That's you know, right. So that, that's, that's, part, right. That's, what we're, that's what these efforts are all about. It's about resetting the conversation and, and holding them accountable <laughs> for the implications <laughs> of their business model.
1: Yep, exactly. Now, I am in such admiration of your resiliency and your relentlessness. SP 54 didn't pass initially, but you remained stalwart in your conviction to see it through. And there were so many players at the table that you had to bring together. You had legislators, the governor industry extended producer responsibility advocates groups that sponsored a ballot measure that was going to go on the ballot to address plastic pollution how in the world did you bring all of these folks together to pass SB54 this year
2: well first of all you're you're right we showed everybody uh, all the players in this space that we were absolutely determined to do something very substantial in this area. We, we started, you know, we, we didn't get the, the big comprehensive bill passed a couple of years in a row, but we got smaller bills passed that started to push the envelope on the issue. We, we pushed them through the legislature in spite of industry opposition. Uh, after coming achingly close to getting SC 54 passed a couple of times, uh, a group of advocates finally went out and said, hey, we don't think the legislature is going to act we need to put a ballot measure on the ballot. They got the signatures and it was an aggressive ballot measure that really freaked out the industry. And it started a negotiation. Basically it it sparked a nine month negotiation involving every stakeholder, uh, industry, local government, environmental groups, environmental justice, haulers, uh, you know, retailers, producers. I mean it was this enormous array of, of interests that sat around the table and my incredibly uh, talented staffer, Tina Adelina, helped to, to lead the negotiation, and I was involved as well. Uh, and, and we basically just worked for nine months to find consensus. We listened to all sides. We, we, we'd we learned a lot over the four years that we have been working on the bill from, from before, and then we were able to evolve our approach accordingly. So, for example, initially our efforts focused on granting CalRecycle, which is the state department charged with managing these issues, broad new authority. But as we gathered feedback from stakeholders and fellow legislators, including many of who had not would have been willing to vote for our bill in the past, we realized that this wasn't necessarily the right approach. We changed course. We focused on a more extended producer responsibility model along the lines of what I described. And they, and I think the, the, we made it very clear that we weren't going to go away. They could spend; they could have spent a hundred million dollars defeating the ballot measure. We felt, you know, we saw some polling; the, poll, the, you know, the ballot measure pulled very well initially. But we knew if industry spent a ton of money, they could probably defeat it. But they also knew that if they did that, first of all, they would lose all this money. It would be right. unpredictable, and then we'd be right back to square one in January of the coming year, and we wouldn't go away. We were going to continue to push on this issue, and they thought, "Well, look, this is an opportunity to actually work with these folks, maybe get a deal struck." They know how unpopular plastic pollution is. Uh, they know that consumers really want choices, and ultimately, it was just a matter of working hard to find as much common ground as we could, and, and you know how. And, and ultimately, it was about finding a deal where we was, where we would set goals giving industry flexibility to innovate and to achieve them, but ulti- but really hold them accountable to those goals. And the beauty of the negotiation was that, that, you know, that, that, that we needed to strike a deal that was strong enough for the environmentalists, for them to feel comfortable pulling mm-hmm. the ballot measure back. If they didn't feel as though the deal we struck was strong enough, they could just go ahead with putting the ballot measure on the ballot and throw, you know, throw the dice and see how the voters when- went. Uh, uh, in in November, exactly, uh, and that was the. And we ultimately got to a place where they where, where they knew it was a strong enough bill. Industry was okay with where we were. They didn't love it, of course, but they knew that this was you know this was the, the best deal they were going to get. And we got the bill done. I mean, it was we had to get the bill. Signed by and, and delivered to the Secretary of State's office by five p.m. on the deadline, and it happened at three p.m. on the day of the deadline wow. uh, because everyone needed to you know weigh in at the last minute. <laughs> it was a wild process, a wild, wild process. But I'm just so proud we finally got it across the finish line.
1: That is amazing. That is amazing. And I, I want to make sure <laughs> that our listeners know because every time people hear about some sweeping new environmental piece of legislation, their knee-jerk reaction is, oh, great, here comes another tax increase. But I want to be sure our listeners know that SB54 isn't a tax increase for everyday residents of California. Talk to us a little bit about how SB54 is funded.
2: Yeah, so so it's not a tax. The the producers of the consumer goods that are packaged pay into what's uh, called a producer responsibility organization to coordinate the work. And the plastic producers also pay a separate mitigation fee. So consumers will not see a separate line item for this program. Uh, and, and And let me say a few things. Now, you may say, oh, well, it, it, to the extent that this is this is increasing costs for the producers, they're going to pass on that cost to consumers. Even if that's true, and, of course, that gets very muddied in, in, in these massive business pricing models that these companies have. The, the fact of the matter is, consumers are already paying a lot of money to put Band-Aids over this broken system. Just to give you an example, just a couple months ago, Sacramento County raised the waste hauler rates on, on every household in the, in the county by $10 a month. Uh, those waste Ooh. rates keep going up and up and up as we are being asked to put more and more Band-Aids on this broken system. Yeah. So everyday people are already paying uh, yeah. higher rates. And the people who have the most control, the most – and also the, the, the most you kind know, of culpability <laughs> associated yeah. with all this extra plastic waste are paying nothing uh, yeah. additional into the system. So the yeah. question is, do you – should, should, we, should, we, should we create a model that asks – that gets the producers to come up with better solutions that are really focused on circularity and, and end use or uh, – should we, uh, you know, or, 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 or should we create a, a, a or, or should we continue to, to basically allow them to freeload off of right. the rest of us as we all continue to pay higher and higher rates uh, for waste hauling and for waste management? And the city governments struggle with how to balance their budgets now that the Chinese don't want to accept our, our recycling exactly. material anymore. And that's exactly. the real question here. So, so, in the end of the day, I and mean, the other thing, of course, is as we help to incentivize greater investment in more sustainable technology, as we're pushing industry to come up with more sustainable alternatives that, mm-hmm. you know, for packaging and products, those items will scale and the prices will, 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 go, will drop. Let's talk about solar, for example, right? Who would have thought that solar would actually be affordable for everyday people 25 years ago? It was so expensive back then, but, but through a, a, a system of incentives and mandates, we, we knew that, that solar technology could be scaled. That's absolutely the right. Was there, just as we know that, and, and now that's it's right. actually, you know, within, it's affordable for people. And that's Absolutely. what we're looking at here. We
1: know well said, that this Senator. bill will
2: incentivize, mm-hmm. yeah, we know this bill will incentivize uh, the, the, the next generation of R&D into and the scaling of much more uh, sustainable packaging.
1: Absolutely. It's as happened as well. before. It's happened before. We yep. didn't have catalytic converters before California passed some crazy, aggressive uh, air quality standards. So we know that that is possible. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more with Senator Ben Allen. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today's Hot Topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Welcome back to GoBee Radio, everybody. So glad that you joined us today. And if you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Senator Ben Allen from the great state of California. He is the chair of the Environmental Quality uh, Committee for the Senate and is also the co-chair of the legislature's Environmental Caucus. We were just talking about SB 54, a landmark bill that he authored that was passed in 2022 to deal with the plastic pollution crisis. And I I wanted to ask you, Senator, do you think that legislation like SB 54 will be replicated in other states? Are you getting any calls from other states asking for advice?
2: We are, and that was always a key goal. We really want this to be replicated elsewhere, and we want this to be part of a broader, be the global movement. And we are getting calls and we're helping uh, legislative staff and legislators from other states as they're considering their options.
1: That's fantastic. I, I'm thrilled to hear that. I actually talked to somebody from Philadelphia last week who knew about it. And I was like, yes, right on. This is so good. It's already on the other, the other coast. So um, I want to give our listeners uh, an idea of the scope of the committee that you chair, it's the Senate's Environmental Quality Committee. And it's charged with, and this is a quote right from the website, bills relating to environmental quality, air quality, water quality, climate change, California Environmental Quality Act, everybody knows that as CEQA, waste management, pesticides, and hazardous materials. That's a huge order (laughs) to try and take care of. But I want to ask you, Senator, you know, PFAS has become a big water quality issue for many communities in California, because especially right now, we're tending to be more reliant on contaminated groundwater, Um, while we're in this drought and surface water is a little bit more limited than usual. Do you anticipate the committee working on any PFAS-related water quality issues this session?
2: Oh, absolutely. PFAS continues to be an area of real focus for us. Uh we've we have made some progress in this space I and mean, I did a bill on uh, firefighting foam mm-hmm. as we're trying and, and ultimately was a, a, a we did it in partnership with the firefighters, which was a, a really great experience. They would originally hemmed and hawed because they would been told that PFOS was an important uh fire retardant, but I think as they realized the, the damage it was causing to their own members uh mm-hmm. as, as folks were getting cancer, it, it ultimately uh, got their support and we ended up getting strong bipartisan support. Uh, PFAS is now also prohibited in California material that's considered recyclable or compostable in cosmetics and kids' products. We got a number of big uh, PFAS bills across the finish line at the end of the year last year. Much more work needs to be done. It's still in many consumer products. Uh, Now, I know the Department of Toxic Substance Control here in California is looking at PFAS as a class of chemicals. And they're Mm -hmm. working to determine how the entire class should be regulated when and you know when intentionally added to consumer products, and I, I think we have to move really fast given the significant water quality issues associated with these chemicals that you mentioned. So definitely stay tuned. There will be some significant work happening in the legislature this this coming session on PFAS.
1: Well, personally, I, I'm thrilled to hear that. Not just for you know all the communities outside of my own that are affected, but my own uh, town in Northern California is badly impacted by pfas in our drinking water and you know there's so many ways that human beings can be impacted by pfas you know i mean it can be in in fast food wrappers and microwave popcorn wrappers and things like that but ingesting it through your drinking water is quite a quite a blow to the system so i'm very excited to see uh, more action on this it's it's caused quite a stir <laughs> in a lot of the communities yep, where we yep. know this is happening so, yeah, another it's, it's question. A, it's a oh, real problem. It is. And it's expensive. It's an expensive problem. And it's kind of, you know, it's similar to the extended producer responsibility situation that you have with plastics. We were talking about SV 54. Right now, yep. you know, it's it's water rate payers who are looking like they're going to have to bear the burden of PFAS treatment facilities. And yet… <laughs> We didn't put it in the water. We didn't manufacture it, you yep. know? So it's, it's another one of those issues. I'd love to ask you another water related question, because this is something, as as I mentioned, you know, I run a nonprofit organization called the Go Green Initiative. We work with schools. And um, one of the things that that we're very concerned about is the quality of drinking water in schools. And California does have legislation on the books about this, but it's not as aggressive as some other states. Um, While you were uh, the chair of the Senate Education Committee, Uh, from 2017 to 2019, there was an assembly bill that was passed in 2017 that got the ball rolling for mandatory testing. But the, the notification levels were only required if the lead levels were above 15 parts per billion. And this is getting geeky, but a lot of my listeners understand that that's that's the action level that's set for the EPA, not the maximum contamination level. The EPA says, hey, there is no such thing as safe levels of lead, especially for children in the drinking water. Um, is there any chance that the committee might take this issue up and push for testing and reporting levels that are lower than 15 parts per billion in schools?
2: You know, this has been a big issue for our committee, I mean, we've, we've, and as you mentioned, we've, we've done a lot in the space, that, you know, we, we've pushed for testing in schools and daycare centers and, and requiring replacing the faucets and other components when needed. Um, there's actually another bill just passed last year, uh, AB 100, which was Assemblymember Holden's bill. You know, Lead was prohibited in plumbing fixtures in California starting in 2010, mm-hmm. but we were still seeing, you know, quote, lead-free fixtures leaching lead into drinking water. And AB 100, the bill we just passed, changed the standard to significantly reduce the amount of lead contaminating our our water um so so the you know the the um you know, the new standard is one microgram of lead when tested mm-hmm. you know i i I think you're going to see continue to see more work on this, I and mean, we certainly don't have the, the level of problems that you've seen in places like Flint, Michigan, and elsewhere, but there's a lot you know, I think that really did spook a lot of people and um
1: yeah, it did so and I, I think. I, yeah. 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 You know, I'll give you just an antidote, you know, and I, I won't mention the school district, but there was a school district in Northern California that did its testing and they had to close down some water fountains. They found lead levels well above um, 15 parts per billion. But the sink in the kitchen that was the central kitchen that like created all the food that was shipped out to all the schools of the district tested at 1400 parts per billion. Oh, wow. So, you know, it, it's hard to know where we have problems until we test. And then, you know, right. you know, you know how it is. If you're not required to do anything about it except notify or, you know, do some Band-Aid issues, we can't be sure, you know, and parents can't be sure that their kids are uh, drinking safe water at school. And it's just, you know, it's, it's an evolution, but I wanted to put that on your radar screen. I have to do it. I love kids. You're so to, this
2: is, you're, <laughs> and this is why the testing, this is why testing and reporting is so important and which is at the heart of, of, you know, these bills, but I, but yeah, let, send me that, send me those details. Let's take a, let's take a deeper dive and, and um, <laughs> maybe see if we can strengthen some of the existing law in this space.
1: You betcha. Well, I, I, I noted, um, You know, that just not too long ago, the White House had a summit on indoor air quality and it was great. Um, They talked about a lot of different things, but it's always kind of puzzled me that, you know, we've we've got all these laws on the books about outdoor air quality. But the EPA has been telling us for years that indoor air quality is anywhere from five to 100 times worse um, and more toxic than outdoor air quality. And it always concerns me, especially in schools around kids, you know, and, and they're, uh, if we aren't monitoring this, if, they, if schools aren't required to, you know, ensure that indoor air quality is good. Um, I, I'm just wondering if the if the committee might take something up on indoor air quality that's, you know, a little bit more aggressive than we've seen in the past.
2: Yeah, and we've, we've certainly been really concerned about some of the data coming out from these studies confirming that there, you know, there's benzene and other chemicals leaking from gas stoves,
0: mm-hmm. uh, even
2: when they're turned off. Uh, you know, this, <laughs> this is a, this is a, a, a fight that happens even within families. My wife is, you know, a little bit more of a she loves to cook and I think a lot of people who love to cook are really um, pretty committed to their gas stove. Sure. Um, but you know, but 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 these studies are very worrying. I mean dozens of local jurisdictions I think have picked up on the studies. They've now you know, banned gas appliances and they're requiring all electric stoves. Uh, you know, there, there are these convection electric convection stoves that are that are really good. And, and in fact, a couple of my staffers went down to San Jose, down to the Silicon Valley, to the new Google headquarters, and they learned all about how they're training the chefs there to use yeah. these new stoves. It, it's a different. It's a different product. These stoves work great once you know how to work with them, uh, and they're so much safer, and they're actually much more environmentally friendly. Uh, but you know, they, they do take a little bit of retraining, but once you learn how to use them, you can cook incredible food on them. But, um, anyway, I, you know, will there be a statewide mandate? I I think you have to stay tuned. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about that. We just don't know yet. I I think ARB, our air resources board is not recommended taking this step yet. We know it's certainly very controversial with people, but, um, yeah, I would. I'm very interested in doing everything we can to try to move everyone toward these uh, electric convection stones. They, they, they certainly seem to be much better for both indoor air quality and environmental. Uh, I've emissions. had
1: one since 99. So I can I can attest to that <laughs> since, oh, wow. since the last century. Okay. And they are great. We should do, but, a,
2: whole, let's do, we should do a whole session on, uh, uh, on how to learn, <laughs> learn how to cook on them.
1: Well, I I appreciate your thoughts on this, Senator, because I know that, you know, we did some indoor air quality testing in a a school, an elementary school, where the CO2 levels were so high. Um, You know, we were noticing that the kids were very drowsy, and it's because they were basically being suffocated. Uh, The CO2 levels were out of control and there were no monitors. There were no, uh, you know, regulations in place where the school district would even have to care about that. And um, it wasn't until I went in tears to the superintendent to say, please, please don't let this happen anymore. This is terrible for the children and their cognitive ability um, that we were able to get some changes made. And so, Uh, Would love to see more attention to indoor air quality in schools, not just around COVID, but around other things that impact their little bodies. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more with Senator Ben Allen. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all be with us today. And if you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Senator Ben Allen, from the great state of California. He is the Senate's Environmental Quality Committee Chair. Um, And Senator, I know that you have worked to bolster the state's climate resiliency by proposing a measure to invest in preparation for extreme weather and other climate-related events like wildfires, floods, and mudslides. I'd love for you to talk to us about those issues and some of the ways that you see the legislature addressing them.
2: Yeah, we so so we know that as we are fighting to try to reduce our contribution to the greenhouse gas effect, to the, to the, the, the climate crisis, we also need to mitigate uh, uh, and, and also prepare for the impacts of a warmer climate. Uh, sea level rise, fires, drought, extreme heat events. So these effects are here now. So, we introduced sv forty five a couple of years ago with the goal of direct significant investments to prepare our communities. We were fortunate to have a robust general fund these past couple of years and with a budget which allowed us to make a significant down payment uh, but I, you know, from my perspective, much more needs to be done. We were anticipating a tighter budget this coming year if that's the case you know we're likely going uh, you know we're, we're considering the possibility of asking voters to support a general obligation bond to continue to support funding to protect local communities and increase their resiliency. Uh, we, we know we need greater investments in water conservation. We're, you know, we're clearly in the mega drought. Yeah, uh, There's less rainfall, uh, you know, precipitation is falling at different times of the year. It's making us harder, uh, make it harder for us to, to capture this moisture and save it for the longer, dry, drier summers. Uh, and so the other thing is we're learning that we really can't rely on, on historic weather patterns as we're planning yeah. So we've got to do a better job of preparing for a warmer future that will, and, and that's going to take investment. On Absolutely. the sea level rise side, we need to invest improve in proven nature-based solutions to protect our coastal communities. For, for example, so restoring wetlands or coastal dunes doesn't just help keep rising sea levels at bay, but it also can simultaneously provide critical habitat for plants and animals that also need to adapt to rising temperatures. So there's some investments that need to be made of, uh, on mitigation and preparation.
1: No doubt about it. I mean, even just, you know, when you mentioned the mega drought, I mean, this has completely changed the water picture in California and our water delivery mechanism. I recently took my husband on what I call the dam tour. We went around to the Folsom Dam, the Shasta Dam, and the Oroville Dam to see what was going on with the reservoirs um, behind the headwaters of all of these important Components of not just the State Water Project, but the Central Valley uh, Water Project, and and it's shocking. Uh, when I was at, uh, I believe it was Folsom, yeah, Folsom Dam, the the point at which you would normally jump in to go swimming, was 0.8 miles. That's how far we had to walk from the place where you actually hit water. So normally, where you'd be jumping in to go swimming was almost a mile away from where the water actually is now, and that that has just disrupted you know, this, this huge system that we invested a lot of money into, not just initially, but over time to keep the system of water, you know, feeding the state. And, and it's completely disrupted by uh, the the change in precipitation patterns. And that is not going to be a cheap uh, fix um, for something that massive. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. If there's anything you want to say more, you know, about that. No,
2: I I just, Uh, I'm, I'm in, I'm in, (laughs) (laughs)
1: Agreement with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, I, I know that you're a member of the Ocean Protection Council and the Coastal Conservancy. Uh, you recently led a successful effort to phase out a dangerous carcinogen in firefighting foam. You mentioned that um, you passed helped to pass strict regulations on a type of mining that was polluting California rivers crafted a compromise to phase out destructive trawling gear and brokered a major compromise that lessened the environmental impact of off-highway vehicle use at state facilities. I'd love for you to share more details about these accomplishments with our listeners and give them a chance to learn more about your work.
2: Well, thanks for bringing all that up. And I, I, I really have taken pride in the work that my office has done. And once again, I, and a lot of credit goes to my incredible staff, Tina, who was who essential part of each of those key compromises, but 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 really focus on bringing stakeholders together, finding innovative solutions, being really determined. I mean, I, I think I think part of what happens is that the, you know, the the stakeholders on the on the on the industry side or the, the you know, perhaps the, the, the non environmental side know that I'm I'm determined to to make progress, and, and that's part of what motivates them to come to the table because they realize that they'll either be part of the conversation or will we'll push past them. Uh, But but then I'm also always open to their perspectives. I'm always open to trying to see if we can find uh, thoughtful, innovative, collaborative ways of addressing some of our uh, of these environmental challenges. Um, And and I'm I'm really you know it just it it takes a lot of work. That's the thing. That's a lot of legislators aren't really willing to put in the time, or 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 maybe they're they're a little more impatient for a lot of reasons. And I I totally understand. But you got it. It takes time. It takes painstaking conversation and negotiation. And that's been our MO. And I'm, yeah. I'm really proud. I mean, at the end of the day, in each of these cases, uh, uh, you know, we, we ended up getting bipartisan support for the measures, even though they started out with, no, uh, with, with very little uh, you know, cross-sectoral support. And it just comes down to coming at these issues with a mind toward making our environment better for our children and our grandchildren and just being good listeners and, and really focusing on the core lessons of, of the, of probably the most important class I I took in law school, which is my class on negotiations, which is all about really (laughs) listening to the other side and trying to focus in on where their real interests are. And half the time you're battling over things that you don't, neither side really feel that strongly about. Yeah, (laughs) Um, that's so true. it's, It's about finding where, where their, where their, uh, where their real interests lie and just trying to see if you can craft a compromise that allows both sides to, um, to, 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 you know, to protect our core interests while, while allowing the other side to, to do what it needs to do. And in my case, it's about you know, really listening to folks who might be antagonistic toward environmental le- legislation initially, um, really focusing on what, what the environmental side needs mm-hmm. and, and push through with a, with a negotiated compromise.
1: Yeah, I love it. You know, for years, I've been hearing the drumbeat of CEQA reform, and I'm wondering if you foresee any changes to CEQA in this or any future legislative sessions.
2: Well, it's a perennial issue. Uh, definitely, <laughs> there will be other. Yeah, there there will be, there will absolutely be people looking to make changes to Sequa. And you know, my, my, my take on this is we, we need to make sure that we preserve the core goal of CEQA, which is environmental protection. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely open to, uh, to conversations about CEQA. Uh, but, um, you know, I know particularly in the housing space, there's a lot of, of criticism launched against the, uh, against the bill, against the law. But, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, it, it, it was written for a reason. It's provided tremendous benefit to our society in many respects, and it's forced an environmental analysis and environmental lens uh, before major projects are built. Uh, And I think that we've got to figure out a way to preserve and protect that important role.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Well said. You know, shifting gears just a little bit, we just made it through the midterm elections and many Californians may not know that they have you to thank for the flexibility in how and where they got to vote. I'd love for you to talk to us about the landmark Voters' Choice Act and how it resulted in significantly increased voter turnout. That's a big deal, Senator Allen. Thank you for that. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I, so the pro tem in 2014, coming out of the 2014 election, where there was record low turnout in the state, tasked me with he made me the elections chair and said, hey, we got to figure out a way to make it to, to, to improve our, our voter system. Uh, and, and I, you know, I've traveled to Colorado. Uh, with my staff and a couple other legislators and we saw what they'd been able to do and we ultimately crafted this model that was loose you know largely based on the colorado model and it was ultimately it was all about the idea that this uh, the old way of voting where you only could vote in one place on one day between a certain set of hours on, on on a tuesday uh was just so antiquated why why don't we as long as you can maintain the integrity of the vote and ensure that, you know, the only legitimate votes are being cast. Why wouldn't you want to do everything you could to make it easier for people to vote? That's, this is, this is, it's about the vitality of our democracy. It's about ensuring that more people can participate. And a lot of working people simply couldn't make it. Uh, it, It's too difficult for folks to make it uh, on a Tuesday, on a work day, uh, you know, in one location. So we said, look, let's set up a system. We're going to send people ballots by mail. We'll also have vote centers where people can vote for, Almost up to two weeks before election day, if they want to vote in person anywhere in the county, so you know just you know, last last election, my wife and I went to see a play downtown l a and then we went across the street and voted you know on the weekend before election day. It was a very easy yeah. experience. it was in the county they checked checked this it know, you know uh, you know there's a, there are lots and lots of procedures in place to ensure that you know that no one's voting twice or anything like that 's part of what by the way part of why the the count takes such a long time because they're so painstaking and yeah. ensuring that nobody is trying to you know vote vote twice or anything like that which just you know basically never happens um, but they're still always being very careful and yeah. it's just made it so much easier and, and we've been able to you know it's we just made it it's ultimately all about making it easier for people to participate so they can have a voice in their government
1: I love it you were also a leader in passing the disclose act and petition disclose act which has dramatically improved the disclosure of donors to political causes for the public. Talk to us about how those two acts changed things for the better in California politics.
2: So I would love it if we could somehow figure out a way to overturn all the jurisprudence that led up to the Citizens United decision, which basically it. allows you know, massive uh, in- in special interest groups or individuals to go off and spend all this money. We've, we've worked so hard to limit the amount, uh, both, both limit, limit the amount of money that individual donors can give to candidates, and also, uh, all there's very strict disclosure rules uh, and limits to the, you know, to, to both the the, the the receipt and the expenditure of candidates' campaign funds. But then we allow this whole world of independent expenditures out there, where people are out, you know, creating funds that then that then spend tons and tons of money to influence the political process, and they oftentimes beforehand would set up these fake you know, well, fake, basically these vague organizations like Californians for Happy Puppies.
1: And, uh, <laughs> and, and
2: there would be no, no disclosure to the public as to who was paying for these ads that were showing up on their TVs or
1: yeah. these
2: mailers that were showing up in their, in their doors. And so we said, look, this is, this is ridiculous. We've got to create more disclosure. And so the Disclose Act that we passed a few years back uh, now puts in very plain, simple language right there in, in large print, either on the mailers or on the TV ads, Uh, the the top donors to these efforts so you can know if it's a union or an individual or a corporation or an association that's paying for these things Mm -hmm. just so you can evaluate you just evaluate a little bit have a little bit more information as you try to evaluate the message that's being that's being sent to you similarly with the petition disclose act this was a bill that dealt with the uh the, the you know these these folks who are standing outside the supermarket all you're trying to do is get some milk or something, and they're, they're shoving a petition in front of you telling you to sign uh, a ballot, you know, s- sign that put a ballot measure yep. on the ballot. I mean, what they don't mm-hmm. often tell you is that they're making about five or six bucks a signature, and they're doing exactly. whatever they can to get you to sign. Mm-hmm. And so yep. now we're, we're saying, you know, you, you, ought, to, you ought to disclose uh, who's, who's paying for the signature collection process, just to give you more information about who's, uh, who's trying to influence the process and trying to influence your, your perspective.
1: Absolutely. Well said. Thank you, Senator. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have more with Senator Ben Allen. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We're so pleased to be joined by Senator Ben Allen from the Golden State today. Senator, you serve as the co-chair for the California Legislature's Environmental Caucus. What are some of the caucus's priorities this legislative session?
2: Well, our caucus is, is, is really focused on just trying to help members learn about critical issues that we know they're going to be faced during the session. So, obviously, climate and energy are going to be you know, the, big, the biggest uh, issues that we'll be delving into. How do, we, how do we do better to help to mitigate and, and, and be a, play a leading role in addressing the climate crisis? And so much of that has to do with greening our grid lot's happening relating to adaptation and protecting California's biodiversity. I was just in Montreal at the COP Biodiversity Conference and a number of members were there. So that's going to be a big conversation, uh, everything from the Endangered Species Act to, to habitat mm-hmm. restoration and 30 by 30 uh, we that, that's basically California's aggressive goals aligning with our mm-hmm. with our global uh, thirty by thirty goals to protect thirty percent of our land and water as temperatures rise. Mm-hmm. Uh, we passed very ambitious climate bills uh, that once again put California at the front forefront of our global efforts to reduce emissions at the end of the year last year and now the work to implement these new laws falls to the administration and our caucus will be following these efforts closely to ensure that the legislators' int- intentions are are being met that we can you know be nimble and, and and, and basically help the administration uh, uh, do everything that was promised at the mm-hmm. end of session last year when we passed those big climate, climate bills. So I, I think those will probably be the biggest um, uh, areas of work for the caucus in the coming
0: year.
1: That's that's terrific. And I mean, there's got to be a place for that kind of professional development and education and training to happen for legislators. I mean, we have term limits, so you're only there so long and there's a lot to know and a lot to digest. So, I think that's a terrific function. You know, as much as I love talking about issues, I also like to give our listeners a chance to get to know our our guests a little bit better. And Prior to your election to the California Senate, you served as the president of the Santa monica Malibu unified School District Board of Education and I'm curious how did that experience shape your public policy agenda on behalf of the children of California
2: Oh what a good question i I love the experience it's 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 difficult <laughs> the school board job is a difficult job but mm-hmm. it's such a rewarding job i mean it, it, you know you don't get it's not a in most districts in the state, it's not a paid, you know, properly paid position. It's not a full time position. You're doing it as a volunteer for your community. Effectively, um, I learned so much about the, just the challenges of running a big, you know, public institution. Uh, the difficulties of trying to, you know, I, I served on the board in the, during the downturn when when the when the economy hit the skids in 2008. And we just were mm-hmm. trying desperately to find new revenues and. Know, just keep the lights on. Keep our programs strong. Uh, so there were so many. I, I got a real, real window into just the challenges of balancing a budget and and, and staying mm-hmm. true to the mission. Uh, but ultimately, and, and I guess with that in mind, it it just it, it gave me a window into how sometimes our public policies. You know, I mean, it, it, it's really it's so important to to continue to focus on 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 the the. The, the goals of these institutions. How do we make mm-hmm. sure that our, our our schools are really focused on kids and their health and their growth and their well being and all the challenges that they're facing as they try to face this brave new world? And mm-hmm. that's that. that I, I really try to focus on 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 them. And um, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a dad. I got a little guy,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: and and it's, it gets me thinking a lot about you know the future and and so much of this work whether it be in education space or trying to make our democracy work in a more functional manner or, or certainly all the environmental issues we talk about I, I, I just think about these kids and the kind of world that we're we're you know passing on to them and and i'm worried about how <laughs> about that world and, and i want to do everything i can to make it a little bit better and a little cleaner
1: yeah, I want to tell you a quick story. Last week, I was in Miami for the Council of Urban Boards of Education Conference. It's a national conference that's put on by the National School Boards Association. I was actually thinking about this question that I was going to ask you while I was um, facilitating a panel with um, the president of the Compton, California School Board, the superintendent of the Newark, New Jersey School uh, school District, and uh, the, the head of the school nutrition program in Camden, New Jersey. We were... I Been working with those three districts for a while with my nonprofit. And we were talking about how, you know, in some communities, um, children are barraged by environmental pollution from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed and even while they sleep. Um, the air quality, the water quality, the food quality um, is a constant barrage on their little bodies and they get no relief while they're at school. And that's one of the things that we're trying to address. We know that some of the toxins that can enter their body while they're in the learning space not only diminish their cognitive ability, but can cause, you know, long term health impacts. Um, and so, you know, these are the things that we're trying to keep out of the school environment, whether it's water, uh, you know, toxins or air or food toxins uh, that are in school meals. But, um, you know, these are the kinds of things that kids are, are fighting and they don't even know it. Um, and I think, you know, it's something that's very near and dear to my heart. And, and I, it, it, because it's not in most cases, legislated for schools to deal with this kind of stuff. I feel like I'm doing a lot of what your caucus is doing, a lot of professional development for education leaders who've never thought about the impact of high CO2 levels in classroom air quality or what happens if you don't test, you know, your your food for pesticides and you're feeding pesticides to kids in school meals and these kinds of things. And so any help <laughs> that the legislature can give us um, on some, some of these issues to help, you know, education leaders understand that these are very important things to keep out of the learning environment. I mean, uh, we, it would be, it would be a wonderful help. (laughs) And as a dad, I know that probably resonates with you.
2: (laughs) No, absolutely. And it's part of why the accountability and testing and monitoring bills that we do are so important. Uh, You know, I I do, I think, you know, (laughs) the education leaders are oftentimes feeling so, barrage themselves, right? They're they're trying desperately to run a successful <coughs> institution under difficult circumstances with limited funds and so many pressures from their staff and from the communities. And of course they want to do best by the kids and the parents. And, you know, it's not an easy job. And I think they feel as though they're, they're working with their hands tied behind their back half the time, just because all the rules are having to deal with and everything else and the limited budgets. But, but that being said, we, it's part of why we have to force these environmental issues onto the table too, so that, that they're being focused on and that they're getting the, 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 the you know, they're not being forgotten uh, in the you know in, in the in the wake of all the other pressures that they're under. Yeah, so I, I exactly. applaud your efforts, and it's why <laughs> it's important for us to pass bills like uh, Senator Holden's bill that you mentioned earlier that we all talked about yeah, earlier.
1: Absolutely. I mean, if if the byproduct of attending our schools is cancer, reproductive disorders, or organ damage, right. what are we even doing? <laughs> um, know, in the final exactly. moments that we have left in the show, I want to give you a chance to leave some parting thoughts with our listeners. What would you like to leave with our listeners today, Senator Allen?
2: Well, I would, I would just, I, I ask people to I, I well look. It's been a it's been a wild ride serving in the legislature. I've I've really enjoyed it, and I haven't enjoyed every single moment, I suppose, but. Um, I I really do, first of all, really appreciate having had this opportunity, and I just want to thank the the voters of my constituency, my district, that have continued to send me up to Sacramento to do this work for for the people and for our future. And I I don't take this job for granted, and I I, I really am very grateful to them. Uh, I I want to say to people, uh, you know... Government, it's so easy to be cynical and, 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 and kind of think the worst of everybody, and, and there's certainly a lot of factors and forces that, that, that lead to all of our cynicism, um, but there are some really good people that are trying to make the system yes, better. There
1: and, yes, there are. Yes, there are, just know, like engage, you, Senator I, Allen. Yes. And, and I'm so glad. glad that we got to have you on the show today and you are amazing. Your work is amazing. And we are so grateful for you and all that you and your staff are doing for us. And of course, I got to put it in the children of California. But we're going to be here same team, same time, same place next week with more Go Green radio. But until then, folks have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green.